Namo tassa bhagavato rahato samma samputassa Namo tassa bhagavato rahato samma samputassa Namo tassa bhagavato rahato samma samputassa Udang tamang sangang namasami So, um, just the person I've just come back from a long a walking tour. I forgot you call it Tudong. It's a Thai expression for it, which kind of refers to Pali word Dutanga, which means a factor for for austerity. But it's kind of colloquialized. Tudong generally now means going going for a kind of a, a walk where you, you spend days, weeks, months, sometimes even years, and you, you, know, you have to live very simply. So that's the austerity bit of it. The fact is that when you're walking and relying on alms food and uh, having no money and no you know, defined or definite support system, um, that does that's quite an austere practice in itself because it's kind of stripping away or tugging away at one of the most precious things we have, which is our sense of certainty and convenience. Yeah. Not even so much physical comfort, but the sense of knowing where we are, what's going to happen, having control over where we're going to go, having some way of getting things we want or getting away from things we don't want. You know, when you have money, cars, and so forth, you've got some opportunity to do that. Yeah. And even in monasteries, you, there's a certain sense in which you're, you know, it's, uh, it's not really right out there. You know, I mean, the kind of, by and large, people who come to monasteries are going to be fairly quiet, respectful, interested in Dhamma. Um, you've, got a, you've got buildings you can shelter in. It's almost certainly going to get fed. Uh, and there's all sorts of routines and, and, you know, everybody's agreeing upon living in certain ways. But then in terms of precepts and in terms of times and things of this nature. But then, of course, when you go off wandering, then you're very much in a more random situation where you can meet anybody, anything goes, kind of. <laughs> so you, it's quite a vulnerable experience in that way. Mm. You know, so that's kind of it's pulling away that sense of our our sense of comfort or convenience, or even knowing what really what we're doing. You know, because you, know, you can't really guarantee anything's going to happen, and you can't guarantee that certain things aren't going to happen. <laughs> you know, so you can't when you do this kind of practice, you can't guarantee you know warmth. Uh, Hot drinks, uh, food, um, you know, support. You know. So it uh, it does challenge that that in us which wants that kind of security and confirmation. You know. And uh, but by but the beautiful thing is that um, 
it's possible to do this because actually what one finds is without you know, constructing a whole lot of stuff, the very quality of that going forth and of manifesting it generates a kind of field of support in its own right. You know, it's not, it's not, it's kind of much more random and sporadic and less sustained. It's more patchy, you know, in that you, you know, you might get not much food some days, a lot of food in other days, uh, have a rough night, get cold, get wet, but you get by, you know, it's sort of, it's just a generate, um, uh, tremendous sense of um, respect and generosity. Not from everybody, but from enough people to 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 make it workable. I think this is a really credible complement to human nature. Yeah. And so, you know, one of the <coughs> first thing, one of the motivations uh, for myself for undergoing this kind of practice, which I don't do very often. I've done about six of these, I suppose, in my monastic life. You know, varying degrees of insecurity, but this one was probably the, in some ways, you know, no, it was never as bad as India. <laughs> Nothing. That was always my kind of final statement. Whatever it is, it could never be as bad as that. <laughs> you know, it's interesting being on your own, doing it solo, and there's no one to really share it with or get support from, or, uh, you know, just to feel much more. Um, self-conscious actually much more in the public eye uh, which I have definitely you know uh, get quite can get nervous about you know my own, my own nature pure self-conscious or shy so for me that, that self is quite a challenge you know, just to go out in, into the world manifestly different manifestly sticking out uh, and, and be open you know I can't really hide because you actually got to go out there and be present yourself in order to get alms food. Yeah. So, but that's kind of one of the reasons why I do the wanted to do it because I like to see where you know I'm hanging on or where you know I'm kind of my, my, I'm not strong or I'm not confident and just try to work against that, work against my anxieties or my fears or my work out of my comfort zones which definitely I have <laughs> and enjoy. <laughs> but I don't want to just be that, you know, it's quite all right to have that, but I want to be that and I want to be more than that. I want to be able to let go of that, you know, you know to be bigger than that. And this is part, part of this uh, tudongs or tutangas are those which help us to, to grow bigger than we normally allow ourselves to be. Because that's the that's the that's the bit you know that the, the however wonderful it is the comfort and convenience and things organised and how things work better that way still it can make us small you know in that we don't realise we can we're stronger we're bigger we're braver we're uh, freer than than we we take ourselves to be we we tend to, to identify with the structures and the systems that we're in, and then feel rather nervous about getting beyond them or being bigger than those. 
So there's that kind of sense of some mistrust, isn't there? Mistrust in life, insurance. Uh, If you look at newspapers, it's always anxiety. Every day is anxiety. It's anxiety about recession, anxiety about swine flu, it's anxiety about global warming, it's anxiety about terrorism, it's anxiety about the economy, it's anxiety. It's just continuous steeping in anxiety, you know, or greed. You know, and you think, is this all there is? You know, and well, and then the, the uh, you know, you can get kind of find yourself subtly indoctrinated into all this. And yes, there are things to be to feel some apprehension about and to be concerned about. But yeah, there's this, but there's also a lot more than this. There's a lot of joy, a lot of tremendous amount of uh, goodness in human beings, and uh, the. Certainly, what I find is this, this Dutanga, particularly in the ongoing practice of being a gone forth person, a summoner, a mendicant, is such it does seem to trigger these occasions for, for delight and joy and uh, generosity and humanity. You know? So, for myself and also for the people I meet, uh, rather wonderful just to. to, to be part of that. Mm. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, certainly it's uh, it's been kind of physically challenging. <laughs> you know, I think it's just noticing that it took about a week for the never again mantra to stop happening in my mind <laughs> you, know, you start off this you know great and then after all, oh god I'm never do this again oh god what do i do this for you know this little thing starts going you know and think ah oh, good good we're hitting it <laughs> we're getting it you know we're finding out where the where the resistances are you know to wet and cold and physical discomfort and to be honest actually i think that uh, just purely in a bodily level i mean is almost always unpleasant. <laughs> Just purely physical sensation, always continually, uh, you know, unpleasant or neutral. You know. So morning is stiff, backache stiff, lying on the ground. Pull it, pull yourself upright. Feel cold. Wrap yourself in a sleeping bag, trying to get warm. Warm up, shudder, shiver a bit. You know. And then uh, come to neutral, and then you know, get out, start pulling pulling things together, pack everything up. Because I'd sleep out in a in a woodland in a tent, so I put everything be it in a bag, put it in the back, put the bag on my back, pain, <laughs> carrying the thing, tired, pain, and then the feet start complaining, you know, the blisters on the feet, you know, and then you just walk for a while, and then the, the sense of fatigue builds up. You know, and then the pack starts to cut into your back. You know, the straps cut into your back. And admittedly, I'm I'm uh, not especially kind of burly person, and also not <laughs> that's that clever <laughs> on practical things. So it took about four days before I realised I hadn't got my pack adjusted properly. So the thing was completely out of kilter and pulling my shoulders out. So it took a while. 
But the interesting thing I found was that with all of that, without denying that in any way, the sense of, the overall sense is one of joy. I I do not like physical discomfort. Don't ever get me, you know, think that Ajahn Sujiro was an ascetic. I I do not like discomfort. (laughs) But uh, the sense of joy, of the openness, the spaciousness, the freedom, the uh, uh, just the joy of living simply was to me always was uh, the overall overall tone was was happy, you know, joyful. Uh, you know. you know, one of the things that we are very much encouraged to 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 really get clear about and to, and to undertake is uh, Dharma practice is about direct experience. I mean, we have abstracts. Now I'm talking in terms, this is an abstract thing, isn't it? It's words, I'm giving you words. You know, that's, that's what we have to do. Uh, and yet experience, what we're looking at in terms of Dharma experience is the direct experience, which when you come down to it directly, what do you experience? You experience physical sensation. Yeah? experience that that which could be cold hard soft and you know experience feeling pleasant or unpleasant sometimes cold is pleasant sometimes it's unpleasant so sensations are different from feeling sensation is just smooth rough stiff or rigid or firm or liquid and then you have feeling about that which could be it could be pleasant you know or it could be unpleasant or neutral so this is directly, whatever kind of body you have, whatever you think about it, whatever other people say is, what you have actually is sensations and various feelings you have with that. And you have energies as well, this kind of senses of something held back or something you know, volatile or something composed, clear. You know, these, so that's what we experience. And you recognize, okay, Similarly, with uh, the mind, you have you, know, you have the thinking mind. You have thoughts, yeah, which just kind of pitter patter, and then you can have feelings about those emotions, emotions that go along with the thoughts, feeling bothered by them, feeling unconcerned by them, excited by them, kinds of feeling, and you get particular energies, you know, getting getting enthusiastic or getting de- you know uh, resistant to that. So these kind of direct experiences that you have, yeah, that we all have. And then we have these indirect experiences, which are abstract, like things like Friday. Or where's a Friday, you know? Does it written in the sky? Is the, no. How do you know it's Friday? And you have things like next week. And you have things like um, yesterday. And you have things like, um, you know, time things. And you have things like space things, like, you know, you can think about Japan, or you can think about Africa, you know, and that's an abstract right now. It's just something that we bring in. And, uh, uh, you know, human species is very, um, has made a lot out of this ability to abstract, because it makes us incredibly powerful in some ways. You know, you can bring up an idea of, you know, something in Newcastle next Tuesday and you can think about that and it can become a reality you can hold in your mind you can organise things and you can talk to somebody else about it and lo and behold you can kind of 
create and control to some extent what's going to happen. You know, and you can do incredible things with that. We all do it as a matter of fact. You know, organizing things, arranging things. It's all abstract, but it's incredibly um, powerful and commonplace. So much so that we often lose touch with the direct. You know, the problem with that abstract thing is it starts to spin out of control. So you're worrying about Newcastle on Tuesday, or you're excited about it, or you have an argument about it. You know, you have an idea of something the way it should or could or ought or might, how it would be better this way than the other. And that is all abstract, isn't it? And yet, there can be the direct experience of unpleasant feeling, passion, excitement, joy, you know, around something that's purely you know, an abstract an idea in one's head. Yeah. So these, these abstract things actually have a tremendous power to generate direct experiences. Yeah. Both positive, we can think of someone and feel a sense of love or uplift, you can revere a Buddha, you know, which is just right now just an idea. Um, we can feel a sense of motivation to generate something in the future to get somewhere. Yeah. Or we could feel terrible resentment over something that happened five years ago or feel guilty about something we, we remember we did ten years ago or feel anxious about something we feel we ought to do. You know. So these, all these abstracts generate direct experiences. And the problem is sometimes you can't switch it off. We're not, I mean, most of the time you can't switch it off. The mind is just running, spooling this stuff out, and we're on the receiving end of it. And it's actually stirring us and affecting us and wounding us and pushing us yeah, around. And we don't have much, have much control over it. And uh, that, that sense of really trying to get back to direct experience right now, you know, it's, it's like this is basic, and yet it's not simple. It's very simple, it's not that commonplace. You would say basic Buddhism is, you know, the, the world recessions, terrorism, swine fever, sometimes they, you know, this, that and the other. Right now, here you are, you're all right. That's, that's basic Buddhism, you might say. <laughs> and you go, yeah, but, but, but right now, here you are, and you're all right. Yeah, but, but yeah, but right now, you're sitting here, you're breathing in and out, you're all right, aren't you? Yeah. <laughs> just, kind of, just that trying to come down, you know? And uh, so I was working a lot with this in, in this, uh, this Tudong, this kind of experience, because there, in a way, it's, it's, it's the whole sense of it which I see is really uh, something that pervades what we're, the way we're trying to live or we, we're encouraged to live as uh, bhikkhus, as nuns, as aspirants in this way and what we try to teach from and encourage in others is a sense of really looking at direct experience. And, um, um, you know, and just using the abstract 
pure, you know, trying to keep in, control, in charge of that, be responsible. Don't get spun out on it. Don't make life too complicated. Don't plan too far in the future. Yeah? Look at what your ideas about yourself and others are doing to you. You know, look at what these abstract things do to you and see how many you want to support and when you want to use them. Yeah? Now on a Tudong, it's very, in a way, it's very obvious because there is such, so little to really uh, plan and conceive of. There's a little bit, you know. Like the main thing is for this, for my, this particular trip, you know, I've got a certain a map and I recognize... Yeah, you know, uh, probably it would be good to eat. Yeah, it's not absolutely essential to eat every day, but it's a good, generally good practice. <laughs> Encouraged. <yeah. laughs> For this, this means going to a town where hopefully there's some chance somebody will give me some food. To go to a town means you, you know, you've got to walk to it and you've got to figure out how to get there. But also... You know, because I don't want to walk on main roads, so you've got to get paths and things like that. So it means you've got to get some sense of where, roughly, where to stay at night, rough area, so you can get to the town the next day for the meal, and roughly how how far you want to go every day, how far your body can manage it every day. Uh, so you have this some sort of basic planning, you know. and uh, you know. Uh, uh, but then I'd notice how. You know, you start off with that, but then you start to really get, try to get it too organized, plan too much. Yeah. And even walking along, the difference between waking up in the morning, putting things in the pack, putting it on my back, and just walking along, and then starting to look at the map, and my mind going, oh, it's three miles to there. Three miles to there, it's now, you know, eight o'clock or nine o'clock in the morning. How am I going to get there? And I think, wow, this already is suffering. <laughs> you know, I've already created suffering out of, out of this very simple thing, you know. And, uh, and I just say, okay, well, but right now you're walking. And if you walk, I just, you'll get somewhere. So it's, it's, you know, it has to happen. If you walk, eventually you get somewhere. So just, just walk, you know, and, and get, you know, keep checking where you're going. I lost it a few places. Completely went off track. Um, but just, just uh, come back into the body. Let the body do the walking. And it was, uh, it was immediate. You know, the sense of the what happens when my eyes look at a map and start to think about it this kind of little dialogue between the eyes and the map and the brain. And I could immediately feel a kind of tension arise and, and stress arise. And I just, just, okay, now, what does what it actually feel like physically walking, direct experience of walking? Just get that right, to feel comfortable walking. And then the suffering would stop, even though physically, the physical discomfort might very well be there the mental suffering stops. You feel a sense of, here we are, walking, sensations are happening, feelings are happening, um, the space around that. And it, it was really a very nice 
meditation or quite a uh, rough but uh, quite accurate meditation. Yeah. The point where I'd, I actually had a little, little mantra in my mind, which I, I could, you know, I could sense, I could pick up. The mantra was, going somewhere? Yeah. Uh, so I started to get the feeling, I'm going to go there, and then, going somewhere? Oh, oh, here we are, we're walking. Here we are, here it is, just, you know, as soon as you start to get into this planning and figuring out and working on where you're going, you realize you're out of the direct experience into the abstract. You know? You're not going anywhere, really. What's happening is sensations, feelings and energies are arising in consciousness, but you're not going anywhere. <laughs> You see what I mean? <laughs> yeah. And then you you be with that, and then things start changing, happening, opening up. So then it's very very lovely, really. And just to witness how how my mind, how this conditioned mind, gen- could generate uh, suffering, could generate stress out of these abstracts, you know. So I've got to get to such and such a town by such and such a time. This already is suffering. <laughs> now it's not that one doesn't in some way benefit from getting to a place and receiving food. This is true. But as soon as I get into this mindset of got to get to there at such and such a time, I could sense the you know, no, just just go back to walking, and keep your eyes on where you're going, and let it unfold. You know, different, direct experience, abstract experience, non-suffering, suffering. You know. Direct experience could be painful or pleasant, but it could also, within the direct experience, the, the dimension of non-suffering, opening up. You know, the mind could be open, reflective. Uh, receptive. Yeah, you know, and it's amazing how I could actually think, think, you know, the mind could do that. You know, if I don't get to Monmouth by 11 o'clock, could I get to Monmouth by 11? As if there's a whole queue of people standing around in Monmouth waiting to give me food who are going to run away if I don't turn up at 11 o'clock, you know, I'm one minute late. No, they're not, you know, they've got no idea, you know. There's nobody waiting there. <laughs> and, uh, and then, you, you know, you sort of get that sense of you go to somewhere and think, where's a good place to stand for alms food, you know, in the right place, you know. And it's like, it's, it's such a, a wrong way of looking at it, because it's like saying, where's the generosity now? Is it down this street? Or that, does generosity live on this street or that street? You know, are people more generous outside this shop or that shop? You know, you're not going shopping. You know? <laughs> so you just think, well, I don't know where the generous people are. I'll stand where they can see me. <laughs> 
you know, make make it make oneself available and uh, see what happens. You know, and uh, that you know, that really interesting that kind of openness because the um, you know those, those the monks and nuns who practice this you know really we we enjoy doing it because one thing I found anyway was that you, know, you have to undo so much of your conniving, scheming mind <laughs> and uh, trust yeah. you know and I'd, every day I'd get somewhere and I think I can't, I can't see how this could possibly work I can see no way in which this can work you know, I've never been to this town before I don't know anybody in this town before you know, I, I don't know anybody here they don't know me. They don't. Even, most of these people don't even know what. Surely don't even know what a monk is or a Buddhist is. They don't know what I'm doing and not allowed to tell them. I can't beg for anything. I can't be too forward. I've got to stand somewhere, kind of slightly out of the way, with the bowl, kind of not being too demonstrative about it. This is not going to work. <laughs> There's no way it can work. <laughs> and yet uh, it worked. <laughs> Because it's, uh, you know, just great, isn't this great? You know, there's something bigger than my mind, <laughs> than my doubts, than my schemes, than my plans, than my hopes, my opinions. Isn't it great? There's something bigger than that. You know? And uh, I say, well, uh, you know, I have this moment. I think, okay, well, I'll just do it anyway because this is what the Buddha wanted me to do. So I'll do it. Yeah, you know, stand here, the bowl. Mm-hmm. Just feel the weight in my feet, feel the pressure in the body, and just stand here, relaxing, and generally, you know, sense of uh, benevolence, well-being towards all the people moving around. You, know, you can feel some considerable. I don't know something about human beings is both delightful, touching, compassionate, warming, humorous. You know. And you just feel these emotions passing through as you see people doing their doing their stuff out on the streets. You know, standing. And you think, what do, what kind of person is going to give me food? What kind of person would it be? Surely, it'd be kind of some, uh, somebody who looks like a, a meditator. <laughs> <laughs> Must be some people who are card-carrying Buddhists around here somewhere. You know? And or perhaps it will be. Uh, or you think it will be nice, nice, warm-hearted women with their children. Not necessarily so. Yeah. And you see some kind of funny looking old bloke come shuffling along. You think, look at this geezer. I like the look of him. And he looks at you and goes, You a monk? Yeah. Well, good on you, mate. Have a banana. <laughs> 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 Doesn't look like a meditator to me. <laughs> you know, somehow that, that you can't. 
you know, what, in that situation I can't kind of come up with a dumber talk. I can't come up with uh, some kind of wise expression. I can't really, you know, introduce myself to people. I can't be me doing my thing to somehow, in some subtle way, feel I'm earning my keep or deserving anything, you know. All that just, you know, cut off. So you just stand there. And I can't, I also, I can't kind of run away either, which is the other feeling that comes up. <laughs> and just, uh, you know, and then the, the, uh, the, the, the that, that sense of openness that comes and the, and the joy of that. So I found after doing that arms round that very quickly, I would just feel quite happy standing there, and I really didn't think about food at all. Just standing there was, just standing there, openness itself was just a great place to be. And I recognised, actually, I'm not even hungry. I don't really mind. I don't really, you know. I mean, it might be a problem in six hours' time. I haven't got any meals, but right now I'm okay. You know, and then just really come back to the direct here and now, with it all the time. Because in that situation, that's about all you can do. If you start to go out and to, should I do this? Where's the food going to come from? Hey, that looks like somebody would give me some food. You know, or this, that and the other. It's suffering. Your mind starts to get tangled up in suffering. So you just stop doing that. And you don't have to believe in anything. You don't have to feel confident about anything. Just stop suffering. <laughs> stop creating suffering. And you know, there's a realization that's all the Buddha ever wanted us to do is just to stop creating suffering for ourselves. What a great, <laughs> what a great thing, you know. What a great thing. Yeah. I very much enjoyed the the randomness of of meetings, you know, with all kinds of random, very random people. And how a surprisingly uh, uh, a sign of a, of a, of this particular sign of a monk or a shaven-headed person, religious person, it could touches so many people you know, immediately who have no don't have any particular understanding of it at all. It's a kind of a reflex. You know, I met people who didn't even know what the word monk meant. You know, it's as far as an idea, but they sensed something, you know. And they felt, I didn't get any negative reactions. Sometimes people are just co confused, uh, bashful, shy, nervous, uh, but, but, you know, just being present. Um, Sort of opening pe people, opening up. Mm -hmm. I was walking out of Tintern, which is a little town on the border of Wales, up the Wye Valley. Very beautiful town with a famous abbey. And I was walking up. I was actually, this time I had someone with me for a few days. And as we were walking up a, a little kind of pathway, he noticed this house. And outside in the garden, these kind of plaster Buddhas. Buddhas everywhere, and he said, "Oh, look at that!" I stopped and looked at that, and there's this woman just coming out of a car, and she looked at me and kind of 
eyes were like saucers, you know. <laughs> so we put two and together and we said, oh, is this your house? Is, is this Buddha? She said, yes, you were Buddha. I said, well, something like that. I'm working on it, you know. <laughs> so... You know, he's standing there. She said, would you like to see inside? I said, yeah, fine, great. So we went inside and uh, you've got Buddhas all over the place. He had one, he had three particular, uh, well, four particular things. One was fairies, fairies, lanterns, American Indians and Buddhas. <laughs> so this the house is just completely steeped in all this stuff, you know. With the kind of turquoise and purple, in very kind of almost like a very very feminine in its its kind of its emphasis on on the beauty and the evocative, the resonant, you know, that which evokes particular feeling of that particular refined feeling, you know. And then we got to talking, and you know, she was very happy, gave gave some food, and so on. Next day, I was walking down. Uh, down a hill slope and uh, found this path I was going, I was, seemed to be going right through somebody's back garden. So there's this guy in a shed as he walked past. I said, is it, excuse me, is it, is, this all, is it all right to walk down this path? And he came out, he looked at me, he goes, oh yeah, fine, great. And, um, and he, he got very ex- interested and excited and he had, he took us into his shed and he got his motorbikes. And they were, they were, his, his whole life was devoted to motorbikes. And he got a Suzuki, and he chrome, chrome-plated every nut and bolt on it, you know. And he just, it was, it was so, this, this motorbike was so clean and spotless, you know. And he had three of them, and he was kind of erotic glee. He was talking about his Ducati <laughs> 982 cc's and the speed it could go at and this, that and the other. And although, I, you know, that's not really my area, just <laughs> I could actually feel, you know, just like I could feel this lady's kind of, her presence and her joy and her rapture. I could sense this, this man's, you know, just opening up his life, you know, his kind of particular joy. And just touching into this place of his, his joy, which was motorbikes. And he had three of them. And he said, you know, and the missus says, one more and she's leaving me. <laughs> he said, it might come to that. <laughs> and he opened up another shed and he got three more in the other shed. <laughs> you know? and that, that, uh, so I find this really, uh, it's very touching, you know, uh, just to kind of be able to walk into people people's lives like that and just share their their joy or their their delight. Yeah. But of course, the main thing is that that uh, some people could actually tune in to to the monk. You know. So I was stand just walking around Gloucester Cathedral. And I, was, I was standing in this cathedral, looking at it, reflecting on it, and then. A few people drifting past and saw this woman kind of walking across my sight, my line of vision. She stopped, <laughs> turned round and then beeline, you know, <laughs> came up. She said, oh, it's so good you're here. You know, it's really good you're here. I said, uh-huh. <laughs> she said, you know, that you're bringing, you know, you're, bringing every, you're trying to bring all this, these uh, religious, these forces, you're bringing these energies in and it's so great you're here. And... and uh, 
then she started opening up about her life and difficulties and said she'd be doing Tonglen, which is a, a meditation practice whereby you, uh, they teach a lot in, in Tibetan schools where you, you deliberately, you know, whatever feelings of happiness or well-being, you deliberately imagine you're giving them to other people and whatever suffering you sense is happening in the world around you, you take it in, you know, so you actually take in other people's suffering and, and, and uh, you know, which is a very lovely idea, but it was driving her slightly crazy. <laughs> and she said she's going up into her head and feeling so, because uh, she had so much um, negative feeling about herself. Uh, and she said, you know, I, I really need to give more to other people than my children. And I said, well, what about yourself? She goes, and she just started crying. You know, I said, well, you know, right now, whatever you should be or have been or mistakes you've made or things you should do, right now, you're just standing here. And right now, it's all right, isn't it? We're just standing here. That's all right, isn't it? And just breathing in and breathing out, you know. And, and so, you know, so just, you know, from that encounter, this, this woman then came to the, the day-long retreat I was doing in a, in a nearby town and, you know, connected to a lot of other Dhamma practitioners in the town and actually kind of found a, a place where she could meditate and get some, some company. So it's very lovely to feel that just just moving this form, this monastic form around, and just placing it in places and see what people do to it. <laughs> you know what it can do for people. Yeah, and how it can it how it can resonate for people. You know how it can encourage or delight or warm or, or and how what a powerful. Um, and yet non, non-intrusive, you never poke it at anybody, you never proselytize or, or push it on anybody, and yet it's, it stands there and it's like a tuning fork, and it has this kind of resonance to it that people can pick up. And it's totally nothing to do with, with me, you know. Uh, and, and so that, that also is, I found it very wonderful, you know. And I think because... You know, as a, as a person, you know, I'm very much, you know, cold conditioned into that attitude of you have to, you have to work and do something to earn something, to get okay, to feel you're pulling your weight, to get to <coughs> approval, to make things happen, you know. And it's up to you, and you're probably never doing quite good enough. You could do a bit more, and you should do more, actually. Um, and you should actually do work harder and do more to make sure that you're doing enough, you know. And in that, <laughs> you know, in other words, it's sort of it's a sort of script for, for exhaustion, you know. And that you can't just be around, you know. uh, And yet uh, you can recognise how how many people are, are following that, doing that believing in that, to get the bread on the table, to get the food there, trying to work to get things done. And actually, you know, how many people are really, obvious statement, how many people are really happy and fulfilled in that? And how many, you know, is the problem in our society 
a lack of food? By and large, no. Is it a lack of material requisites? By and large, no. You know, what is it? It's a lack of a sense of contentment, fulfillment, presence, okay with where you are. You know, that's what most of us lack. You know? And that's what most people have anxiety, depression, the number one, um, the number one depriver of happiness in the Western world is not cancer, heart disease, alcoholism, it's just sheer depression. You know, misery, gloom, not feeling good enough, never feeling quite good enough. You know? And where, where does that end? You know? Where does that end? It ends when you stand, sit here, breathe in and breathe out, and you're all right. It's all right. You don't quite know what it is, what it should be. It's not fantastic. It's not anything you can really define. It's not the best. It's not, but it's all right. But I don't want it all right. I want wonderful. No, no, you can't have wonderful. You can have all right. <laughs> you can trust all just being all right. You can trust that. Because that's the rest of it is all in the propaganda, isn't it? You know, what's out there on the billboards, what's out there is what we should be, is all propaganda, isn't it, really? And when we buy into that, we could be, you know, have happy, ecstatically, wonderfully happy moments, and then anxiety about not having another one. How are you going to man- manage it? Depression about not getting enough. Comparisons about who's getting more. Resentment for people who get better. Feeling you haven't quite made it as good as anybody else. And yet every one of us has this fundamental, innate, all right. <laughs> Yeah, and I, it's uh, and it's all right, you know. The physical feelings, the physical sensations are, yeah, all right. Feelings are, yeah, it's all right. Thoughts, yeah, it's all right. <laughs> you know, they're not great. They're not conclusive. They're not brilliant. I haven't got things figured out. I can't clearly say, work things out, you know, why it's going to be. I haven't got my life completely in order, but it's all right. And just kind of coming back to that in us, which can sense the all rightness is the relief of pressure, the relief of the pressure to be, to have, to become, to compare, you know, to make some statement about ourselves. Because finally, in the all rightness, you don't even know what you are, really, apart from just all right. <laughs> because that's where the mind starts to kind of stop doing that, that thing that creates suffering. Yeah.
So I offer this for your reflection.